Hello everybody, welcome back to Beyond AIO from Odyssey Geek. This is Austin, and it's been several months, I know by the time this comes out, it'll be even longer, but it's been several months since I've talked about Paws and Tales with my friend Michael. So we're back to talk about the show again. Hey Michael, how are you doing? Hey Austin, it has been quite a while. There's been a lot that's happened in my podcasting ventures. How about you? Oh, yeah, it's I have a little more free time. I've, I'm officially graduated from college now. Woo! And since the last time we recorded a Paws and Tales review, you got a new podcast. You want to share a little bit about that? Yes. Yeah, it's Return to Gilead. It's a podcast about Down Gilead Lane. I am having a blast going through these episodes with Ryan Matlock. Y'all know who he is. Uh, basically the Ryan of the not Ryan on the Odyssey Geek <laughs> podcast. But Ryan and I are doing three episodes a week, which back in 2017, if you told me I would be doing that, I would tell you to get lost. That's insane. But we're doing it. And I so far i think we've done a pretty good quality job at making a good podcast so i'm i'm really happy about it if you want to go check it out anchor.fm slash return to gilead all right and i'll have that linked in the podcast notes and austin's on there too yeah i got to guest host for a couple of reviews but the entire podcast series is great so go listen to all of it listen to dgl first <laughs> please i recommend that it's a great series and then go listen to the podcast you won't regret it same thing with this series Go listen to Paws and Tales. It's very easy to listen to it. It's free online on podcast. And then come listen to these reviews. Anyway, speaking of, <clears throat> today we are going to be talking about episode number 14, The Great Go-Kart Race, and episode 16, Hold the Anchovies. I want to say that with like a uh, kind of like a New York kind of accent there. <laughs> I don't know why, but it's probably a Jungle Jam thing, but I'm not going to talk about it. Ah, forget about it. <laughs> All right, so the first episode we're talking about is The Great Go-Kart Race. This episode was written by Clark Corkum. Script supervisor was Phil Lawler, directed by David Carl. Music back to John Campbell after uh, hearing Tim Hosman for a while. Sound design, Jerry Swafford. And the song at the end, Go-Kart Go, was written by Sandy Howe and Nick Brown. Has Clark Corkum written other episodes in the past? I recognize that name. Yeah, he has. Let me... I know, I should have this... I don't, not correction course. I think, uh, yeah, I should have a spreadsheet like you're making for DGL, but I am not that good. At, I'm not that good with Excel. <laughs> Let's see. I love Excel. He wrote, he wrote the Lighthouse and God with the Wind, and yeah, I think that's the only ones he's written so far that you that we've that we've reviewed. Okay, well, I think things are starting to make sense as far as my questions about these two episodes go. I'll I'll get into that later, but. Yeah. Yeah. So this episode starts out where Stacy has called an emergency meeting at the club and people are starting to come. I guess Ned, Marsha, and CJ are already there. And Goose comes in and she's saying, Oh, I'm not late, I'm not late and then she finds out Stacy's not there and she's like, Oh, how rude And Stacy Stacy turns up like a minute after she bursts in and Goose is like, Stacy, how come you're so late? <laughs> Yeah, it's funny, but I think there's an issue with this. I'm not sure if you're going to have the same issue. We'll probably get to this once we get further into this scene. But there's something off with Goose. The door sound effect? No, not the sound effect. Oh. I I don't think I've had I don't think I had any issue with the sound design with this episode really. I think there were some really good sound effects in one of the later scenes. But no, it's more the writing and acting, oh. I think. Well, Anyway, since I brought it up, I will mention it now. The door sound effect of all five of the club members leaving is the same opening and closing sound effect every single time. Yeah. That's funny. Uh, but anyway, with Goose, I didn't really notice it. 
There, there. I noticed it in the final line that there's something off. But are you seeing something else in these earlier scenes? Well, I guess since we are talking about it more, I guess we can go and talk about it now. This episode, Goose is so mean. She's kind of mean spirited. Yes. And in the past, she's you know kind of naive. She might poke fun a little bit. You know, she did that a little bit in the Honeybuzz Principle about the bees. Yeah. But in this, she feels overly so. Like when she starts calling Stacy a baby and all this stuff. I mean, it's funny. But it's out of character for her, I think. I don't even find it funny because I was actually in a situation like Stacy recently where I had said, hey, I started this thing. I should have a say. I should have the main say in how things go. And everyone was like, no, we all need to have a say in this. And if there was somebody like Goose just calling me a baby, that would be very it would be very irritating and agitating for to, to work with. So with Goose saying that, I, I didn't fully appreciate it. And I think Stacy... And I think Stacy realistically should have lashed out more than she did. Like, it wouldn't have, been, wouldn't have been good, but for a story perspective, who's was really, really being tough on her. And it wasn't even that funny. It was just saying the same, oh, you're a baby, over and over again. Honestly, I, I like to, I, I know I tend to look at the differences between writers, but I kind of noticed similar writing characteristics in Clark Corkum's previous two episodes. So I don't. I don't want to prejudge it, but I, I'm thinking this is just a writer thing. Yeah, I think so, too, because, again, it's not David Carl, not the creator of the series. And it's similar to how, like, on Odyssey, like, Kathy Buchanan and, um, like, maybe Bob Who, some of them write certain characters, at least maybe earlier on. They wrote some characters that, like, you know, kind of funny or kind of different, but they weren't in character. So that's why it sounded like, like Connie was, like, you know, being, you know, more... Uh, naive or something like that or like or like penny like she's been written sometimes where she's you know pretty naive mm-hmm. but she's pretty mm-hmm. nice and there's like in a search for a sunflower she was being kind of mean almost like goose was in this episode like she's putting down connie so much like that's not penny she's not mean-spirited yeah yeah i think something that you famously pointed out is the arrows of wooten and how tory martin wrote for wooten so and he's written differently by paul mccusker and then he's written different written differently by phil waller so in every era of the show wooten has a slightly different writing style also depending on who's mainly writing for him maybe that's the same thing with goose here i think it's just even though here's a question this isn't super paws and tails related but like even though shows like odyssey and i'm guessing paws and tails have writers rooms how much of those writers, uh, of the other writers, actually have input on the script? Is it? Am I too off in saying that individual writers have a huge sway in how their own script portrays their characters? I think that would probably be the case. I'm not sure how much they did with Paws and Tails. Like, I don't know if these were people that, like, lived in the same area that worked together or, like, you know, freelancers or something like that. But with Odyssey especially, I think that, you know, if the, unless there's something majorly wrong or majorly off-putting, then I don't think most other people are going to say something about it. Like, I think, like, with, like, the Black Veil, Marsha Younger wrote about, you know, that guy killing all those cows, and then I think, was it Rob <laughs> Jorgensen or something? I think saying, hey, I'm not going to be involved with all, with all this. That was so funny. Okay, no, I just, I had forgotten about that tidbit, but yes, yeah. But yeah, a little bit, if it's something major, but the minor stuff can really show up as the minor as the major stuff mm-hmm. can too mm-hmm. yeah i'm thinking of what ryan and i are doing and the way we way we do it is i do most of the writing then i send it off to ryan and ryan says okay this is good but i really think you need to change this so then i'll go back and change it so everything will be under my writing but it'll be plot is directed by him and like script supervision and everything so i'm i'm wondering that's probably what's going on here with with phil phil is overseeing the general story direction and making sure it's good 
but the particulars are left up to Clark Corkum. Yeah, possibly. I'm sure. I think. I think David Carl because he is like the showrunner. I guess you'd call it. He probably does have final say on it too. But I'm just assuming. Mm-hmm. Was he involved in this episode? Uh, yeah, David Carl directed the episode. Oh, he directed it. Okay, that makes sense. So back to the story itself. Stacy says there's a go kart race coming up, which surprisingly they haven't heard about until just like a few days before it. I know it's a small <laughs> town; they don't have the technology that we have today. But it's kind of surprising they hadn't heard about it until that day. I guess they just haven't been, you know, keeping their eyes peeled. I think it's the day before it, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's like she comes in and says it's tomorrow. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, nobody panic, but we only have, you know, 48 hours to do it. But yeah, uh, there are some there are some funny lines from Goose that aren't real, like, the mean-spirited stuff. When they talk about go-kart enthusiasts, she's like, you know, I'm not an enthusiast. I'm in a lot of things, but I'm never an enthusiast. Like, do you know what an enthusiast is? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then... When they're talking about the things to get for the go-kart, they're talking about, I think, lumber or wheels or stuff. And she says, I'll get the worms. Why do we need worms for a go-kart? I just know where there's some worms. <laughs> but she does bring up uh, a thing that weasels do have a a penchant for is, you know, with finding shiny objects, which does come in handy with uh, making the go-kart. I, one of the, probably one of the funniest lines is Marsha. She's talking about, you know, what they should do to decorate the car set up. Uh, I think, uh... CJ or Ned said, like, oh, yeah, I'll get some red paint. It's a red, a great color for a go-kart. He said, oh, I'll get some yellow and put daisies all over it. And then, like, CJ says, like, let's get some more red paint to paint over the daisies. <laughs> the way he says it is so sinister. That makes me, what is up with the humor in this episode? <laughs> and also, too, like, uh, Goose's name started with the letter go or the letters go. <laughs> it's kind of a stretch, but, hey, it's it's okay. But, again, with the way she's coming across with most of her character in this episode, it's, again, it's has that tinge of something like, eh, it doesn't feel quite right. Yeah, yeah, and also another, since we're on the topic of lines like that, CJ says that he wants to be the driver, then he'll let his steering wheel do the talking for him, and then Ned says, what does that mean? And CJ says, I don't know, just go along with it. I I know what that means. Did he not know what it means? It, it seems pretty obvious what it means. So maybe I'm just missing something. Well, it sounds more like something what Ned would say, because Ned usually has the more... um uh nuanced humor that's kind of a phrase he would say but maybe just cj's heard the kind of phrase before and ned's doesn't know about it huh i mean it, it may, it's it's probably you know accessible to most of the listeners but maybe not to the kids they're saying stuff they've heard elsewhere okay yeah that makes sense but just for me listening i'm like yeah i i know what that means but if if he was going to make up something that was nonsensical there are a couple other ways to do it than do actually than to say actually something that does make sense yeah I will say Goose, I think, has a little bit of a comeuppance at the end because, like, her and Stacey are the last ones there, and she, like, you know, calls out, you know, about, um, you know, the driver in the winter circle being burped by its mo- mommy or something like that, and she starts laughing, and then she's kind of talking to herself and getting kind of afraid, and then said, like, you know, and I wish my mommy were here, and then she runs off, like, hey, guys, wait up. <laughs> it's a little bit of comeuppance, but that's about it. It, it's she still doesn't learn her lesson right and we haven't touched on it but the main conflict that comes in is that stacy brings up that she wants to drive it and then cj and ned go wait a minute who says you're gonna drive it she says well i heard about it and ned says i agree with cj we all should have a say in in what happens if we're going to be working together so it, it's it's weird what happens after that because the conversation kind of starts to go downhill they're they're talking about it arguing about what to do goose starts calling stacy a baby then all of a sudden, CJ jumps in, says he's the best driver, says something about his go-kart, and walks out. And that's the first indication that we've got that they're going to be splitting up. And it seems weird that that would come from CJ, 
who's for the most part stayed neutral in this. And I don't think his comment about being the best driver is that bad of a comment. That's like, hey, I'm the best driver. Let's uh, let's test it. I'll let my steering. I'll show you that I'm the best driver. And then he just leaves. And then immediately everyone else leaves. Um, I'm trying to think what uh, Marsha, Ned, and then Stacy and then Goose all leave. And with Marsha and Ned, neither of them had expressed pride in wanting to build their own go-kart. Yeah. But then they just say, me too, and duck out. Whereas Ned was the one who brought up in the first place. He's the one who's being the most reasonable about we all should have a say in this. So the plot, honestly, it, it doesn't feel like it was set up very well in that these characters who were acting rationally all of a sudden aren't because of a, a weird contortion of the conversation. It would make more sense to me to have a plot where Stacy has uh, some really technical know-how on how to make a good go-kart, but she wants to be selfish, and so the rest of the club ends up doing their own thing by themselves and building their car together, and she does hers. They can't get it to work, so they end up working together. That seems like a more realistic plot that doesn't cause Ned and Marsha to split off, whereas because they don't seem like they should have split off, you know? Yeah, I think probably a good way to fix it would be to take the things they talked about, like Marsha, like her designing it. It's meant as a joke. But she could have got upset, like, hey, I want to decorate it. Or maybe, like, Ned wants to call it a certain thing, like a certain name for the car. Yeah. And they disagree on that. And having each of those aspects of it that they can't come to an agreement on, and then they split up. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So it's, it's little things like this that I think could have made, uh, again, this was years ago. So it's not like we're saying, F- fix it, change it. But, you know, just the reasons why we're feeling a little bit eh, about this first scene. Yeah. So Stacy goes around trying to find... Some stuff. She goes to the lumber mill. Ned got there first. I mean, he's a beaver. Real quick, one more thing from the first scene. I want to say that Marsha calls it paper, rock, scissors instead of yeah. rock, paper, scissors. Is Wait, it people she call says it? paper, rock, scissors. Yeah, she says paper, rock, scissors instead of rock, paper, scissors. Isn't it rock, oh, paper, scissors? Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I didn't catch that. <laughs> that's 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 a good call there. Yeah, Chris Anthony saying paper, rock, scissors is now burned into my brain because I'm like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Yeah, maybe it's played just a little bit differently. Maybe uh, uh, paper is more powerful in that version. Than scissors? <laughs> that doesn't make sense. <laughs> anyway, continue. So, Stacy goes to find some parts for a go-kart. She goes to the lumber, the lumber yard. Ned got there first, which, not surprising. He's a beaver. He probably would think about the wood aspect first. And then she goes to the junk heap behind Hannah's hardware. And she finds that Goose has already been there. And I'm pretty certain, I'm not sure the actress's name, but I'm thinking the same person that plays Hannah is the same one that plays Goose. Did you pick up on that at all? Oh, no, I didn't. I thought that she had a really similar voice timbre to Katie Lee, actually. Hmm. Some of her lines sound like Katie. Or or what's the, the actress who plays Anya Popov? Maybe a, a combination between both of them. Um, Sort of the a similar lilt to the voice, but no, I, I couldn't hear that. Goose's voice is so manipulated or as far as the the voice goes it's it's a lot different than a natural sounding voice so i i couldn't really pick up on that that's interesting well i think the reason i picked up on that to a certain extent is this isn't a spoiler but later on in season two we actually hear goose's mom and i believe goose's mom is played with the same actress that plays goose and you can hear a more natural voice oh that's fine and when you hear that more natural voice you can kind of pick up okay she's just kind of changing it this way to sound like her which is, I'm, I'm just i'm just guessing but it sounds sounds about the same that's cool Hey, I, I had a question. Uh, this is sort okay. of disconnected, but also kind of connected. You know how JD's definition of audio drama is that it's a full cast? Yeah. What if, could you have an audio drama episode that's the same actor? Like, no, wait, does that mean Pirateers isn't a, isn't an audio drama because it's just <laughs> Jonathan Cook? 
Oh, wow. Well, I was thinking of uh, the first Nick Guy Private Eye story, um, The Empty Tomb Affair. That one, Frank Gulli plays all the characters in that one. But yeah. it's, you know, has sound effects and music. It's it's different. So I think, you know, if if it's, you know, very different voices, which Jonathan Cook's voice in Pirate Tears is very different. But I think with, like, the first Nick Guy Private Eye, since he was only playing, he was the only person in it, you can tell after a while, like, okay, this is probably the same actor doing these different voices. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this is a random question, but anyway, continue. And so Hannah, she's, you know, kind of annoyed with Goose, but uh, Stacey wants to get this old wash tub from her, and Hannah's wanting her to do advertising for it. And it's just, <laughs> this is such, this is so fun. You know, I get, gotta wear, uh, have a sign on, sign on your, or painted on the car. You gotta have a, a hat, shirt, uh, with Hannah's hardware on it. And she's like, and a big button that says, and then she says, Hannah's hardware? She's no, eat no. at Cheap Charlie's. And she's confused. Like, oh, yes, my brother's place in Cucamonga. Cucamonga! Cucamonga! Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's it's and so to be clear, the deal that she makes isn't for the wash tub itself. It's for drilling holes in it, which that's that's not that bad of a deal. It's using resources, so um, good of Stacy to take advantage mm-hmm. of that. You know, actual race cars have advertisements on it, so there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, it's it's just kind of funny. So Stacy goes to Papa Chuck trying to find some other stuff, and CJ got there first, and pretty much all she has left to get there is some old rusty wheels that are falling apart. That we hear. Yeah, it's it's kind of like the the comedic line of. Um, Papa Chuck says, "Oh, I've got." Or he he points out the wheels, and then like camera pans to the wheels, which are just like rolling on the floor. And Stacy's like, "That'll be good." I think he's actually picking them up, or she's picking them up, and like kind of moving the wheels around. That's what I, that's what I'm oh, picturing. I didn't get I didn't pick up on that. But yeah, she gets her go kart together. Well, actually, Papa Chuck talks about. Well, Papa Chuck talks her about you know like why don't you got why don't you all work together. Which I think I'll probably talk about this later on about whether how that would work. Oh, but yeah. this is probably like the first mention of, I guess, like the moral of it or whatever. So we come to probably my favorite scene in the episode is they meet on the hill. I think they were, they're supposed to have the races and everyone else is already there. And so I have a little, I have some written down of each of their cars. CJ has a board with four wheels. <laughs> Marsha has a trike with a cardboard box over it with daisies, of course, on it. And Goose has a trash can and just a trash can, and Ed just and Ed just has a frame, basically. And it's so funny. Like I, I'm, I don't think. Well, I guess it does work because it's three of them. It's like the rule threes. You know, Ned saying like, "Oh, um, that person's gonna you know fall off and hit their head or whatever," and it happens. <laughs> he keeps mm-hmm. uh predicting it, and it's and it's funny because okay, yeah, they're gonna happen, and then on the on the third time. Uh, Ned's sure like okay she's safe in the garbage can she's not gonna fall out and hit her head and then she does <laughs> it's, it's so fun it's one of the funniest jokes I think in this episode it is pretty funny there are just two things that I'm thinking about it that uh, I don't know how I feel like with with the joke itself it's a kid show it's aimed at a younger audience than I'm used to so it it seems like more of a, a joke that you'd find in a kid's book like maybe the like you know like the fairy tale the three little bears and like that bed's too soft. That bed's too hard. That bed's just right. That's not gonna work. You're gonna fall out and land right on your head. That's what it feels like. I guess that's fine for the context. Uh, it just it was getting a little bit old, but not not too old. And it was funny to hear them rolling down the hill. But the other thing is that as each of them go down, each of them lands on their head. This sounds really dangerous. They don't get really any repercussions of this. It's just mentioned by Papa Chuck that they have knots on their heads. No repercussions and no concussions. <laughs> okay, Ryan. 
no. <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess I guess it's more played out in the relationships that uh, those that's the real thing that's been affected here rather than the actual physical parts of it. But I would think that those, especially with what happens to Stacy's, so with what happens with Stacy's wash tub, you would think that the the lake and the tree would be really close to this hill. Okay, am I supposed to take the laws of physics seriously and assume that they got really injured, or am I supposed to completely disregard physics and say that they were fine, but the wash tub just flew across the pond? What am I supposed to do here? I don't understand. Well, I think it will still work. I, I think probably okay. the biggest thing is that you hear it through the entire thing the same volume, but I think it's supposed to, so that way you can, unless they had like a, uh, they hear the voices, and then it kind of cuts to a louder sound of that, like you're moving from where they're standing on the hill, back to the wash tub, back on the hill, back on the wash tub. But I think if you don't, if you don't think about it too much, I think it works. And this is the scene I told us about that. I think there's some great sound design with it, with, you know, it's skipping across the lake, you know, uh, crashing through the chicken coop and the tree and all that. And I, I was wondering what you thought about this, because, you know, we don't have the narrator saying anything. They have Stacy and Ned commenting on it. What do you think about that? I thought that was good. As far as the writing went, that was that was funny to see them describe it and then to hear the sound effects off in the background. I thought that was done well. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, it's kind of like how they did with um, for Radio Theater when they did for Prince Caspian, where in the book it's described, like, think about the narrator or the storyteller of the fight, where in that one, the majority of it was, like, commentary from the onlookers, like, from Trumpkin and Edmund, that kind of stuff, and it works really well. You can see it without actually seeing it. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's that's nice. I have yet to listen to Narnia, but I will soon. All right, you better do it. <laughs> <laughs> so... One last last question about the physics of this. Do you so Austin? Do you want me to take this seriously or just write it off as fantasy humorous, or do you want to actually analyze the physics that's going into this wash tub? You can. I'm not sure how good it would do, but you can go ahead if you want. Okay, okay. So this is coming from an engineering major. If you had a wash tub that you're piling rocks into, one, the wash tub already has a certain amount of weight. Two, you're putting weights into this thing. Uh, three, you're on a hill that's not, like, slick. It's not plastic, plexiglass, um, like, PVC pipe or anything like that. It's just a hill. And then you have water. Friction is a thing. So the more you put into it, yes, the more momentum it's going to have. That's why you use wheels, so that the friction is put to the axle. But as soon as the wheels pop off, that wash tub is going to be scraping against the ground. And that's going to provide enough friction, enough backwards force to flip it or to stop it so for it to keep going like that it has to be on some kind of it has to be on some kind of slick surface if it's going that fast to have that much momentum it will flip we're talking like a a big boat um would need that much momentum uh to not be able to, to to flip and boats have a slick surface underneath for them to be able to go across the water but even a boat if it goes into the water and it's that heavy that's going to make a huge splash, and the water's going to push back because water is real a really, really dense um, liquid. Like water has the unique properties that when it like when it freezes, it is it expands, and um, you, you know all of, all that thing. That's why water is such a such a great material. But it's also very it's also very dense. So if the wash tub were to fly into the water, the water is going to be pushing back. Skipping across the top of the water only works when there's 
Um, like if you ever have you ever tried to skip a rock where you just like push the rock forward? You have to spin the rock. That comes from the extra momentum of the angular momentum. So you've got linear momentum with the rock going straight across the water, but you've also got angular momentum that when it touches the water, it pushes it back up. And the rock spins less each time it skips across the water. That's what allows it to do that. So unless this washtub is spinning, which we don't get any indication of that, um, and if it was spinning, those weights inside would not be doing okay. I, I don't see how this is possible, and I don't think we're supposed to see how. <laughs> the ramifications on the rest of the episode, the consequences aren't that big, so I'm willing to put it aside. Just saying, that is not how physics works. Well, I'm sure probably most people wouldn't think about that. And <laughs> I think two more things we've got to consider. The wheels did fall off after a certain point. Yeah. So it it would be it would have been scraping all the way down. So if And again, if the pond was small enough, it might balance probably maybe a little bit. If it was a pretty small pond, maybe. Maybe. And that's also maybe if that the hole in the bathtub was actually plugged up or not, right? Yeah, well, I was assuming it was plugged up. Anyway. Anyway, yeah. Stacy's, well, on the way down, it runs over everybody else's go-karts. <laughs> except for Ned's. Ned could probably easily win now if he actually finished his go-kart. Right! That's... That, I'll touch on that later, but yeah, Ned's is fine. Put a pin in that. Yeah. Well, he talks about like how like he's not he's not brave enough to get on on the hill. He he might fall out, fall off and bra- and hit, hurt his head. Which yeah. <laughs> again, this is like early 1800s or late 1800s, early 1900s. I'm not sure if they had helmets for bikes and all that back then, but if they oh. did, they should have had those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Which actually, I was I, I'm this isn't a spoiler. I've already kind of <laughs> mentioned this, but there's actually a date like a year. In the late 1800s that we hear in a later episode so it kind of gives and some years from that point i think so we actually do get a time period exactly or a year basically of where the series happens in season Man, two so that's interesting okay okay i picked that up the other day and i don't think i recognize it as much of like oh wow so it, it actually is in the late 1800s early 1900s kind of hmm. okay i'll be looking forward to that all right so we come to the next scene all the club members except for Stacy are together, I guess, at the, at the fort. And Stacy's fixing the chicken coop by herself. And Papa Chuck brings some leftover paint. He said that uh, he thinks it's probably enough for the entire fort. So, yeah, the fort's almost finished or getting there. And he, you know, talks to them like, you know, like, why aren't you helping Stacy and all that? And, you know, what happens to her go-karts? And they were mad at her about it and all that. And I, I like the line from Ned. Again, Ned gets these lines usually. He talks about, like, I feel set up. Like when Papa Chuck's talking, like he kind of tells where he's in a, <laughs> going with his uh, his lecture or whatever there. But he does mention this. I guess it's probably a good place to talk about it. Mm-hmm. I think he said, it wasn't wrong for you to want your own go-kart, which I would think that, yes, that, that's if you want to do it yourself, that's perfectly fine. But your attitudes and your motives should be different. Like if they already agreed at the beginning to create something together, they could have worked out some things and I know you talk about voting on, like, who would the driver be. I think that'd be hard because most people would vote for themselves, which actually we got an episode later on that has that kind of thing on the voting process for something related to the club because most people would, you know, vote for themselves unless you had some kind of handicap or something like that to prevent that. Yeah, where you, you have to vote for other people. That's not a problem. If you yeah. have, like, if you, if you vote for somebody else, um, you're going to vote for the next next most qualified person. So that means that... Yeah, that means there's going to be not one vote for somebody. And then if everybody like if everybody thinks that Stacy is the most qualified person, there'll be four votes for her and she'll vote for somebody else. It's like um, if you ever played uh, there, there are certain there are like some games where you have to like 
uh, where you're in a group and you have to pick somebody else in the group. And so that one person will pick somebody else, but then everybody will pick that person if that person's most likely for the card that's being drawn or whatever. Uh, it's It works. So that might have worked. Yeah. But they talk about how, like, you know, they could have done something together. And with as big as the prize was going to be, which is actually like a triple, <laughs> triple decker Sunday, a uh, triple decker banana split mm-hmm. um, that we hear later them actually eating and I guess sharing. So it got, I guess it would have mattered much if they had their separate ones or not, because there was enough ice cream for, for all of them to share, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So unless they wanted to eat all the ice cream by themselves, which I doubt they'd be able to eat all at once. And I'm not sure if they have a way to keep it cold at home or not, again, with the time period. So it's kind of a moot point with that. I got the idea that their desire to do separate go-karts was more just to have separate go-karts, not necessarily to get the ice cream. I think the ice cream was there, but it was more, I want to be able to drive it. Again, it comes down to like the attitudes and their motives more than them just want to have their own separate cards. Yeah, I have a word on the attitudes and motives, actually. Okay. If you want to talk yeah, about it. Yeah, go ahead. So before this scene... Does Papa Chuck know that they are doing it for selfish reasons, not because they just wanted to say, hey, why not for fun? Why don't we do our, our own separate go-karts? Um, I think Stacy might mention something about that in the first scene with Papa Chuck, if I'm not mistaken, because he questions what they're doing. Well, I don't know. He says She says it's a long story. She doesn't really say what the reason is. Uh, yeah. Right? I think so, but I'm fairly certain there was at least something... Uh maybe subtle reference to it or something because i think her attitude or kind of her saying it is like yeah they're not wanting to work together now like i think papa chuck might might know that was the original uh idea maybe but it's probably not explicitly said Mm, okay well as far as that goes i think that the plot i think there's a serious problem there because when papa chuck comes in the conversation that he has with them is without either in that conversation maybe i'm missing something but when he walks in they had just been saying, if Stacy hadn't ruined it, we would have won. Then Papa Chuck walks up, delivers the paint, and then starts to talk to them about what they maybe what they should have done about their attitudes. But all they say is she wrecked our go karts. So it's hard for him. It's hard for me to believe that he knows their hearts and what they really wanted, uh, or what they really mean by that, when we haven't seen it exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, unless, unless it was eavesdropping before you open the door, or the door is just really thin, and you can hear <laughs> people inside pretty well. Maybe, maybe. But another another thing is, the one of the first things he says is, so, you're all upset because the go-karts you made were so good that you all had a great chance to win the race? That's a, that's, mm, that doesn't seem like the right thing to say. Well, I, I mean, it's, it's true because, you know, they could have used their strengths their separate strengths to do the right do certain things like with Gooch, she can find shiny stuff so like more of the metal pieces. You know, Ned he's a beaver and his dad's a lumberjack, so he'd know a lot about like wood and that kind of stuff. And like maybe Marsha with, with design, they all have their different abilities. They could make a really great one on their own. So they couldn't make a great one, I and mean, they might have with more time maybe. But again, I don't think it's you know the main problem they were having. Right, but that doesn't. But each one of them thought that their own go kart was fine. So it, the the message that I'm getting from this is that you shouldn't be upset if somebody else destroys something that you've made just because just because most other people think that it's not good. That's that seems like a weird message to me. It seems like there could have been other ways for Papa Chuck to phrase that, but I would be upset if I had worked on something and I was ready to improve it, like it was a prototype, like with with um with CJ's uh, piece of wood. There were ways that he could improve that and, and build upon that using the existing materials, but 
now that Stacy's run over it and destroyed it, there's nothing he can do. So it's not necessarily that it was because that it was because it was so great, but that they put their time into it, that it mattered to them, that they were attached to it uh, to a certain extent emotionally. And Stacy was reckless and wasn't watching where her go-kart was going, where her washtub was going. So I, I don't know that that was a very good piece of advice of Papa Chuck to give. Just, just saying. Yeah, and also too, like there was no reason for them to help her fix the chicken coop because that one was all her fault. Um, it was more of it was something they could do to be nice to you know kind of say hey I forgive you kind of thing, which they do eventually do that. Which it kind of it's it's kind of interesting way and the scene ends with you know Morsha saying it's too late now, isn't it? And then it just ends and it goes the next scene. But you still have Ned's go kart. (laughs) Ned's is perfectly fine. We just forget about it. What are we doing? Well, it's just a frame. It may not have been that good either. It was. It was being a scrap wood. Maybe not was. It wasn't very good scrap. Scrap wood or whatever. Maybe he just like oh, I don't want to deal with I this don't again. Know. Maybe. Which we hear about somebody winning the race, but we don't get a name. And then we have someone. I know it's Steve, Steve Bridges, Bridges. <laughs> but they don't say who it is. But his voice sounds pretty similar to the one he does for Mr. Crawford. But it sounds more Canadian. I thought he sounded Scottish. Okay, because he was having that a sound at the end i guess yeah that would work for scott scotland too i guess so yeah well he's he's the owner of the the pharmacy right or at least the manager uh no mr crawford is the owner of the general store the one that runs uh the pharmacy is mr peebles i believe well this guy is this guy who's talking here he's this is at the pharmacy right yeah i believe so i think we do hear Mr. Peebles in an, a later episode. I'm not sure that's Steve Bridges or not, but I think it might be a little bit different voice. I'm not positive, though. Okay. I'll, I'll try to put a pin in that and try to remember that when we go review that episode. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. But anyway, Papa Chuck gives them a reward for fixing the chicken coop, so they did go help Stacy, and I guess they watched the race, but they didn't participate. And what do you think about uh, Goose's mis- <laughs> misrepresenting the moral? She said, like, uh, when you cooperate and work together, in the end, everybody feels just sick about it. <laughs> And then her other stuff, too, like, you know, if you crash a go-kart, always be willing to fix the chicken coop. Well, that one was better. The first one doesn't make sense. The second one is better. It's a very weird way to end the episode, especially because we haven't had a strong moral. And also especially because it seems like... Well, it's a laugh line. It's meant to be a laugh line to end yeah, on. It, and it is a little bit funny. But, like, my question is, is the moral about... Were they more interested in winning the race or in the ice cream? Because they were really interested in that in that Sunday. So, or that, was it Sunday? Yeah. No. Uh, then, then I split. split. Then I split, yeah. Were they more interested in that? Because it seems like even though they all were selfish, failed, had to clean up their work, now they're back to zero and they still get the banana split. So, like, they didn't do anything exemplary to get that banana split. I guess that's grace. Sure. Okay. Um, well, but... they did go and help Stacy, even though they didn't have to. I think that was the reward for it. And they worked together on that. But Stacy also gets the banana split? I believe so. Like, she's our main character. Uh, Okay, well, I'll leave it at that. Maybe let the listeners decide. All right, so we end that and we go to the song, and it's very, a very, I think, sign of the times of how it sounds. Um, not my, not my style of music, but it is, it is pretty catchy, and it's one of the story kind of songs. I'm, I'm, what about your opinion? A ballad. Yeah, I guess you'd call it that. But uh, the rhyming with the word art, like. Like cart art and all that. I love Goose's line about looking more like modern art uh-huh. and things about uh, something called a wild goose chase and how she ends with, you know, it talk about, you know, working together and then she ends with, it works for other things too, you know? Those things <laughs> I did like about it, but I mean, the style of the song isn't my forte. 
But what did you think about this song? Yeah, I probably won't listen to it again. It was okay, uh, but I think just because it was a ballad and in that style, eh, it's not something super catchy for me. Now, again, if I were a 7-year-old, a 12-year-old, I might love this song. I, I'm just outside of the range. So that's why I can, I can appreciate the song for what it is, but yeah, it's not my cup of tea. The next one in the next episode, now that's great. But this one, I don't know. Yeah. So this episode, I think... At this point in the series, I think it's probably the funniest episode so far, but it comes with its uh, drawbacks um, at the expense of that funniness. There's some, there's a lot of great laugh lines, and there's some really funny parts, but I think the part that really makes it fall apart the most is, again, Goose being out of character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and my thing is more about the moral of the story, uh, and that's I think that hits closer to the what I value in an audio drama, is the theme and the, the well-constructed plot. And the fact that this episode kind of left me with a sense of, well, the the idea is to think of others above yourself, but what about competition? And I, I don't think that it was set up at the beginning that they were thinking of themselves necessarily, or that ne- that thinking of themselves outside of the idea of competition was a problem. It seemed to be, well, your end is to, well, actually, I'm trying to think. It seems like they're saying that in every circumstance, you're supposed to work together. Whereas in this one, I think it might might have been a better idea to work apart. I don't know. We didn't really get that. But either way, I still think that the funniest episode is probably the Honey Buzz Principle. But uh, that's that's just me. I love that episode. Okay. Fair point. <laughs> All right. So next episode is Hold the Anchovies. This one's written by Amy Robertson. Script supervisor is Phil Dollar. The director was David Carl. Music by John Campbell again. And sound design, Eric Basil. And a song, the sailing song, written by Sandy Howe and Matt McGuire. Question. What were the last two episodes before this session? Um, The Honey Buzz Principle and um, Snake Oil. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, I like those. And then we had the perfect Christmas gift that came in between these episodes that we've already reviewed. Right, right, right. Okay, so I don't want to make it seem like I'm super down on Paws and Tails, and I know I was kind of negative on that last one. I think this is my least favorite episode of Paws and Tails. The Hold the Anchovies? Yeah. Yeah. I, these episodes, I wasn't sure. I Most of these, I figured you probably wouldn't like, but I, I I would think that you probably have more issues with the first episode probably than the second episode, but I guess we can get to that. No, no. Yeah, this one's tied. I think this one is on a different level than Correction Course. Maybe I think Correction Course still rubs me the wrong way, even though the theme was there. This one, I... I, I we'll get to it. We'll get to it. <laughs> okay. So did you notice this episode uh, begins with no narration? Yeah. Did you notice that this episode begins with no narration at all? I didn't. I need to Because it did that on in that. one previous episode, I think, but it just begins with Goose calling after CJ. Oh, well, that's cool. All right, so before we go any further, question. Cherry pie or peach cobbler? I don't like either, but I would prefer cherries to peaches, so I guess cherry pie? Yeah, I'd probably go with that too, even though my last name is Peachy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if I had a choice, I would choose to give them both to my mom, but, you know... Um, I'm more of a shoe fly pie kind of guy myself. No, I don't really like the texture of fruit in my dessert. Ooh, wow! I do like shoe shoe fly pie. That's interesting. I don't see. I don't know many people that like it, except for people that you know live in like more of the, I guess, northeastern part of the states. I am from New York, after all. So, you know. And Goose in this one, uh, she waxed poetic about like food and all this stuff. And I, this episode, Goose, I believe, is written much better. She's back to her normal self, I think. Yeah, she's funny, especially with the final line of her chasing around Chris Anthony with the um, or Mrs. Nesbit. <laughs> is that a Toy Story reference? That can't be right. <laughs> I don't know, but I don't believe that was Chris Anthony. She's not in any of this episode. I don't what? think. What seriously? That wasn't Chris. That had to be Chris. That sounded just like Chris. I don't Chris. think so. 
it might have been hmm, i don't know who that was it might have been i don't know we really should have some people from the show on this podcast ask them these questions <laughs> yeah goose is fun i mean i'm sure we could get chris on the show if we wanted to yeah but i mean like more like the people like the writers and the sound designers could probably oh, tell us okay. more about that stuff yeah find david carl anyway so we find out that uh cj doesn't want to go to the retirement home which i don't think they talk about the name of it in this but it's talked about earlier and i think to have and give not it's called the shady days uh rest home i believe yeah same place yeah it's a friendship dinner that miss harbor put together to have the kids serve which i think is a great idea again i love miss harbor even though we don't hear in this episode hearing the stuff that she does to teach the kids and help them help other people is is just great but CJ's not feeling it. Mm. So I have a uh, a kind of geeking out moment right here that'll lead to a criticism later on. But right now, it's it's an interesting thing in this first scene. Can I bring this out here? Yeah, go ahead. So throughout the first scene, we don't instantly realize what this dinner is. There's just a random line from Stacy where she says, "You didn't sign up for the dinner." After they're talking, after CJ is talking about, is it? It's Gus, right? Yeah, yeah, great guy. Uh, where they're talking, he's talking about going to see Gus, and all of a sudden, Stacy blurts that out. And it's only by the end of the scene that we finally get all the basic information about this thing. For the first half of the scene, two-thirds, or the, for, the, for the first half of the scene, we're wondering what this is, what they're talking about, if it's like a kid's dinner or whatnot. And then eventually we hear about serving at the dinner, and then it's so great of Miss Harbor to have this friendship dinner or something like that. That she's Maybe that's CJ's mom who says that. But that is sort of indicative of how I think the whole episode is, in that I I think for this first scene, it's either it's either poor writing to not to have us confused for half the scene or it's really creative to not have the characters come out and explain it but for another plot point in here i think it really hurts the episode to have something not really explained until the very end um in a really weird way uh, i'll touch on it as we go through but uh, that's that's my writer's moment I would say it's probably the latter. I think it's a creative way. That way you don't have a big information dump right at the beginning. You have a lot of exposition. This, it works into it naturally. And again, it kind of, a little bit of a mystery. Like there's, it's not a mystery mystery, like a whodunit, but there's certain aspects of it that we find out. We pick up these little hints and we lead up to it near the end. I think it's a great way to do it. It, It may have been nicer to have it explained a little bit more what the dinner was before. But with the other stuff kind of, you know, building up to it, I think it works. But I guess we'll talk more about that later once we get into more of the plot. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. So, you want to talk about Gus? Yeah, what a great guy. I love that the narrator said he was a Christian early off because that eased my suspicions of, oh, okay, okay. Well, he's he's actually not going to lie about his stories and make stuff up. He's a he's a decent guy. And then he ends up lying about his a story later on, which is sad. Does he, though? No, he does. I'll, yes, I'll I'll bring it up. I think it's I don't I don't think it's intentional. Uh, and I'll I'll bring it I'll bring it up when we get there. But at least in this first scene, he's great. He's a he's a great guy. Yeah. So you find out he's he's an old uh, sea captain, I guess. He has lots of stories to tell. He's a wolf. And did you recognize his voice? Oh, I'm trying to remember. It's not Steve Bridges. It's not Steve Bridges. No, it's not. But. Back several okay. reviews back, I said there's a voice of someone in here that he'll be a minor reoccurring character in the future. Uh, is one of the better uh, one of the better episodes that we oh, reviewed. It's back is in the princess. The... He's from the princess. He's the king, then, right? Yeah, yeah. That's I believe that's the, I believe that's the same actor for the king. Ah, okay, okay. I don't know who it is though. Who is it? I don't know the actor's name, but I'm certain that's the same actor. Oh, okay, okay. That's cool. That's cool. So. I'm glad you like Gus. We will hear from him. Uh, I think one more, at least one more time in this this season, and 
a few more times in the upcoming seasons as well. Yay! All right. And I like it again how I think David Cross talked about this in one of the discussion guides where he doesn't have just one person as like a mentor or like a a teacher. Like we have Papa Chuck as the main one, but we also have like Miss Harbor. We have Gus um, to a certain extent. I guess CJ's parents to a certain extent. And we'll also have one other character kind of like that introduced in season three mm-hmm. as well. Oh, that's cool. Uh, Gus tells him some stories, I guess, when he was on a deserted island falling off a cliff. Again, some people might find it cheesy, but I kind of like it how he was thinking that, you know, that plant there was planted by God, that he knew that in the future he would need it. And I, I like that thinking of that God prepares things for you for when you actually do need them in the future. I, I, I like having that idea that God knows our life story so well that he he plans things in so far in advance that we may not even realize he's doing mm-hmm. that. Yeah, so I, I love that in his story, that's that's something he works in, and that's great because he's he's stranded on this island. There's no there's nothing. It's not like he's there uh, witnessing as a missionary or uh, doing or sacrificing himself. He's alone. He's trying to get back to his life and to his family, I, I assume, and to the people he knows. Falling off and dying there, who knows how that, like, if he had, it would have furthered God's plan. But I don't think it's too much of a stretch for him to say, God wanted me to stay alive, and so he put that there. And I love that, like, since he's there and since he's alive, it's part of his plan. So attributing that, attributing any any good thing to God is always, like, that's, that's, that's biblical. And I think that's great that he puts that in there. In all things, give thanks. Yes, yes. <laughs> I like how Goose, like, well, when it comes to the end of the story, she says, she says, like, you lived, you lived. It's like, as a, matter of, as a matter of fact, I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a line, I think it was from Goose when he's talking about how, if it's scary or not, uh, I, I forget, but Goose says a line like, oh, stop it some more. I'm like, what? I think she's, like, <laughs> giggling over herself there. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what she's talking about. But it kind of reminds me when she said, like, you know, you lived. It kind of reminds me of Tamika's line, so it was Bernard who died. What? <laughs> no i didn't die i'm right here oh <laughs> <laughs> so uh they go the separate ways uh gus talks about he's gonna be in town for a while or something like that foreshadowing and cj goes yep foreshadow uh cj goes home and um they're talking about gus and talks about the dinner and cj of course brings up the, about the worms and him having to eat you know grubs and that kind of stuff on the island of course his mom's not amused Mm-hmm. I think it's so funny that his dad kind of sneaks it in, like, yeah, I was in the garden, I found a caterpillar, it was a nice, juicy <laughs> one. I bet Gus would have loved them. Yeah, going back to what animals are sentient, please. <laughs> yeah, we didn't talk about the chicken coop last episode. Are there chickens that are sentient in Paws and Tails? Not that I know of. There are birds, because uh, Timothy Owl. Oh, yeah, him. I wonder what he would think about that. <laughs> so... I like how it's subtle, but uh, CJ talks about like when his mom says you have that they're gonna be busy, and that he's supposed to go to the dinner and then go home with uh, Stacy's parents, and he agrees to go home with Stacy's family, but that's it. That's all he agrees to. Did you catch that? Uh, no, I didn't. But that makes me like this episode. That makes me like CJ's actions in this episode even more, honestly, because like it it keeps him from lying. He he does lie a couple times later on in the episode, and he's not called out on it. But at least the second time he's not. Um, but at least that precludes any chance of him lying right there. Yeah. So he talks, like, he kind of talks to himself like he's got to get out of this. He's not, he's not wanting to do this. And again, I like that kind of the mystery. Like, we're not quite sure why he's not wanting to do it. I mean, it's kind of maybe kind of an obvious thing. Like, he's, you know, many old people he's afraid of or something. But he's not afraid of Gus. 
but there's something deeper that yeah. we don't know about yet. But there's like kind of little hints uh, closer to the end before we get the reveal. Right, and and here here's the problem. I I love mysteries. I need to get better at solving mysteries and figuring out plots that are, are hidden and appreciating stories for what they are. But I legitimately thought that by the end of the first act, by the end of the first commercial break, or at the at the first commercial break, I thought CJ is just being a jerk. I don't know how else to take it, but the fact that he just doesn't want to go, he wants to get out of this as much as possible. There's either something super serious behind this, but the way it's being portrayed, it seems like he's just pulling a Jonah and trying to run away from something that he knows he should do and he just doesn't want to do. But we don't get any indica- we don't get any indication of why he doesn't want to go there for selfish reasons or for for righteous reasons. And so because of that, I can't I can't sympathize with him and I'm left to think that he's just being ir- ir- unreasonable. And that's it it makes him out to be a a really I don't know, not a really great character. Well, I think I've noticed this episode his acting is much like it is in The Lighthouse where he's kind of almost not quite monotone in his delivery. But in this, I, I think it kind of works. He does get excited some parts, but he's like cautious. cautious. Like when he talks about the dinner and that kind of stuff, I feel like that kind of more lower tone to his voice works more like he's like, he's very uncomfortable with it. I don't think it sounds like he's being, you know, mean spirited or being, you know, being a jerk or anything like that. And again, we find out later, like why and it makes, it makes total sense why he's acting. And again, I think like the direction and the acting for his character in this works better with the story than it did for the lighthouse. Okay, okay, but then at this point of the story, if he is, regardless of the reasons that he has, if he if he had a good reason for it, if he doesn't have a good reason for it, why doesn't he just say to his parents, "Hey, you know the dinner? I I don't really know if I want to go." Why doesn't he just say that? Mm, because probably because kids don't always think of the most reasonable thing to do. <laughs> well, actually, he does. He does say there will be plenty of people to help there, and given that's that's not a great excuse if you don't have if you don't have a better reason for it. But given his reason for it that he has, that's actually a really really good excuse. And I don't I really like the fact that it's brushed over like it is in the episode. But at the same time, I'm not sure if his parents would necessarily agree to that. They might understand it, but may also hey like hey you need to you need to face your fears and kind of get over over this i mean not necessarily in those words but something to that extent so it may not have worked either way well it depends on what we're talking about if we're saying that he's responsible enough to learn a lesson and to decide for himself which is kind of what i thought the idea of this episode was he should be able to make that decision but if he's not and his parents are just telling him what to do then i don't mm, ah. <laughs> help austin <laughs> anyway well, let's let's just move on then okay please so we come to the next scene and CJ uh, finds Gus and he's carrying salad, <laughs> and he. I hope there's no caterpillars in it. Oh, but we missed something. We right before then. Yeah, narration says that CJ prayed because he was a good cub and he wanted to see what God said, but quote, but it didn't. But he didn't like what God was seeming to tell him. We never in the entire episode get a confirmation of what he what CJ believes God actually said, and I think that's a huge narrative problem with this episode well it's implied because we, he talks about to gus like you know hypothetically or whatever like you know what if you know what if uh it's something i don't agree with or something like that it does talk about that again it's it's subtle but i don't think it's too subtle he does but the what i don't agree with could have been uh cj you need to make this decision that could have been what 
that could have been what God have said. And for CJ to be like, no, I wanted a no on this. I wanted a clear, a clear yes or no, a, a, a choice of a, a, an answer of, well, you have all the pieces here to make your own decision on this. It's up to you. There isn't a right or wrong here. That seems like a similar answer. That seems like a fine answer for CJ to have a problem with because he wants to make sure he's in line with what God wants him to do. Right? Yeah, but it doesn't make any difference if you don't follow what God does tell you. Right, right. And and I get that. Which, again, it's like with Jonah. But my, but my thing is, like, if CJ were to... If CJ were to get an answer like that from God of, of um, you can make your own decision on this, that that makes what else happens in this episode a, a lot. I don't know. I think it weakens the conclusion to have it be that we're just left. It's just left up to the audience because we're left to assume that God told him, "Yes, you must go," and I don't. I don't know. I don't know if God does God talk like that because we don't see narratively why the like what there is a reason for for jonah it was because it was to affect the the conversion and the repentance of the people of nineveh and to save however many people were in that city because of because jonah spread that message and it was also to bring out in in jonah and to show the people who now read the old testament and the prophets what jonah went through and to have him be a witness to god's sovereignty that's that was the point of of Jonah. For CJ, I can see the events that happened to him easily being manipulated by something evil, by something demonic, and have it be that what happens isn't God necessarily directing him, but something more sinister. So, who knows if God was trying to tell him to go or trying not to? CJ did end up getting hurt at this thing, so I don't, I really don't know. Well, I don't think I'd agree with that because he knows, he knows all along he should go. Whether whether he got an answer from God or not, he knows that he should go. We, we see that because he feels remorse over it. He does feel bad. He, he feels convicted, basically. And things that happen, they may be things that God caused or things that God allowed. And it, it doesn't sound like he was actually, like, you know, brutally hurt. It doesn't sound like it broke or anything. I mean, I got some bruises or made some scratches, but that's probably about the biggest thing that happens to him. But still, I think I think it works. Again, it's not as big of a scale as, you know, the lives of an entire nation versus, you know, this small thing. But again, it's on the kid's level. This is something that, to a kid, would be very scary and something big. And if you can trust God to help you go through the situations and the small things, you're going to be better prepared when you're older and there's bigger things that God wants you to do. Yeah, yeah, and I understand that. But my point here is that I don't know if there was that as much of a, a moral weight or as much of a you need to be convicted about this spiritually as I think there would be either for other things or even that this required. Like, for example, if he's feeling convicted that he should go, is that conviction from him, from him personally, or is it from God? Like, do all do all convictions come from God is my question. If you're in tune with God, I believe it would be. I know the devil can influence people to do the wrong things, and if you're not in tune with God, you can make wrong decisions with that. Oh but well, I'm not even. Again, I'm not even talking about more... that. I'm talking about like, okay. should I put the blue or the green comforter on my bed today? Like, I can feel convicted to put the blue one on because it matches the aesthetic of the room. Like, that doesn't have to be a spiritually sound or unsound decision, right? Well, God gives us a mind to make reasonable decisions. If we do that, I mean, I have to be, you know, if we follow what's reasonable most of the time, I and mean, there's there's plenty of times that God tells us to do things that we don't understand or don't think should happen. 
but you know in everyday circumstances with certain things that you know minor decisions like that that's something that we acquire i think naturally you know if we have the mental capability to do that right right so as far as reasonability goes i'm thinking that in this episode i could easily see a different moral where cj feels like he has to go and then talks to somebody afterward and that person says wait a minute wait why did you feel like you had to go he's like well God told me, uh, I feel like God was telling me that I knew, that I could make the decision myself, and so I decided to go because it's always a good idea to help people. And that person was like, but your your grandma just passed away recently. Are you sure it wasn't a good idea to just to, to hang back and to let other people take care of it? I think either option is a reasonable outcome to this. I, I don't think it would be unreasonable for him to not go. That's kind of what I'm getting at here. Well, we'll probably talk about it a little bit more before the end of the episode. We probably better yes. keep moving on here. Let's move on. All right. So we actually come to the story of Jonah, which Gus is a good storyteller. Tells a story about his life, but he also tells some Bible stories in the future in this episode. Mm-hmm. And I'd forgotten that this episode, because I know he tells another Bible story later that has like just a little bit of background stuff, like some background voices a little bit and some sound effects. I forgot that this actually took place like fully in it with some dialogue. And... <laughs> Yes, I heard Steve Bridges in there. I don't know if you caught that. <laughs> uh, I think he plays McGregor. But it's so funny that the names for the people does not sound like Bible names at all. And they have like <laughs> like Irish or Scottish accents. <laughs> it, it is pretty funny. That that part's funny. Yeah, that's the that's the part the, the part that, you know, kind of put me off a little bit. I, I, I think like they're yelling and the sound effects and that kind of stuff. I think that worked well. But I think, I don't know. I think some of that could have been done with just, you know, uh, Gus talking about what was happening, because it was a lot of an exposition right there with those two sailors. Well, I actually I actually liked, writing-wise, what they what they had going there. And just for, just for reference, that was between the captain and a sailor, which makes a huge difference in the story, because this story ends up breaking, like, uh, actually contradicting the biblical account of Jonah on, like, two or three counts, unfortunately. Hmm, what are those? So, the two main ones, I've got three written down my notes. I, I don't know entirely how the third one plays in. I think it's more an extension of the second one. But the first one is that the sailor specifically says that a crew member went down to the, the cargo hold where Jonah was to, to get him. But the Bible says that the captain went down. It specifically says that the captain went down and was the one who initiated the conversation that the story says that the crew member did. It also says that the captain talked to Jonah and had a conversation with Jonah before before everyone cast lots for Jonah. And the captain was there during the casting of the lots. And because in this episode, the captain's just hearing all this secondhand from the sailor, that does end up contradicting scripture. Okay. And the outcome of this is that everyone's afraid they want to throw Jonah overboard and that lines up with scripture that says that everyone was extremely afraid but again that happens when Jonah's there in the presence of the captain so this story I don't think it was worth directly contradicting scripture to do it yeah I can see that I didn't pick up much on that but yeah that does make sense Mm -hmm. yeah but I can't remember is there only one scene or two scenes like I know it talks with the captain the sailor is there some talking from Gus between that before they actually throw him overboard, or is it all in the one scene that that happens? It's all in the one scene, and then okay. CJ uh, jumps in and says, and then he was swallowed by a whale, or by a big fish. Mm-hmm. Which we won't get into that discussion. <laughs> that <laughs> no. We might be here a while. <laughs> I could look up the etymology of the word whale if you wanted. No. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, we're, we're good with the physics lessons we had already. It's fine. <laughs> this is biology, not fit. No, this is zoology, not physics. What are you talking about? Sorry. Well, the more the school subjects, I guess, or the whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and CJ has a line about how, like, you know, he's saying like, oh, God doesn't have to have fish all people anymore and that kind of stuff. And uh, it does happen. I remember it was like a couple years ago that someone off coast of maine or something got swallowed by a pretty big fish or a whale for a little while I don't, it wasn't Uh-oh. like days but i think it was like for me a few minutes or something like that <laughs> oh that's a crazy but story it, ha- it has happened and it ha- ha- has happened in, in the past and people do survive from it at least oh, boy. a couple yeah. ones i've heard but mm-hmm. cj goes into the idea thinking that you know god doesn't do big things anymore basically but the thing is people don't always think you know oh, okay there's a big thing that happens in the bible that's not going to happen today but then there's small things that God does, and they don't recognize that it's God doing that too. And it's the same power that he's doing those small things and those things that we think so big, which, I mean, they are big, but still, any miracle God does, anything that he does to help accomplish his will is a miracle, and he still has the same power yesterday, today, and forever. Right, and with the Holy Spirit working in us and convicting us, that's something that, like you brought out earlier— God does convict us when there is something that we should do that maybe it's not instantly apparent to us, but the Holy Spirit will bring to mind, this is what God has said in Scripture. This is what he's telling you right now based on what he said. This is the path you should take. You know this is right because you're because the Holy Spirit is indwelling you. That's uh, that's good, and that's what God does as as Scripture tells us. So he finally comes to the retirement home, brings a salad, and we get that line here. He says, it smells like a hospital, just like grandma. And then he gets cut off there. I think that's another great way of just like slowly leading up to it. With that line there, if you haven't picked it up on already, you probably can get it. Okay, there's something having to do with his grandma. And since she was older, she probably may have died in one or something like that. Right, right. And that was the first indication that I had of like, oh, that makes complete sense why he doesn't want to go there. And I jump from totally being on everyone else's side that CJ should go to being on CJ's side, like, yeah, you shouldn't go there. Because I, as much as anyone else, or maybe less than other people, but I've had a huge experience with memories and how they affect you and how dealing with memories is different at different times. And based on the context of the episode, it seems like it would be the best decision, the wisest decision for CJ not to go. And so I want to know, like, what was the reason for him to go? Why is he ashamed of that? Again, if he feels like God did tell him to go to go, and he didn't, and again, God may be trying to make him get past that. I mean, God God is God is not going to make us do something that we can't bear. He's going to give us the grace to go through it. And I, I don't think it talks about how long ago his grandma died, but and if it has been a long time, especially, he, he should be moving on. I mean, like, he still can grieve the loss of his grandma, but being around that kind of area shouldn't put you off from doing good things mm-hmm. yeah so so you're saying that the takeaway i should get from the earlier part of the episode is that god was definitely telling cj you need to go i don't know if it was that strong but i would assume so because he again he was told by his parents to go and he was so it's also a form of disobedience that he was doing he wasn't just disobeying his parents he was disobeying god i don't think he was he told by his parents to go i think his parents just assumed he was going without giving him a choice Right. They probably did assume because probably the other school kids were doing it, and they're since they assume he's going to be there to help with it, to you know go to the dinner by himself and then go home with Stacy's parents. Right, but that's as far as the parents' decision goes. I think if CJ would have said, I don't think it'd be disobedient of CJ to say, 
hey, is it okay if I not go? And for them to say, oh, um, I, I guess not. I think that I don't think that's disobeying them to to do that to ask that question. I'm and uh, for the audience, if you're getting tired of me, I'm sorry. This is just I'm trying to bring out all the minutia of this question because I think this is something really important in day to day life that I see and like a lot of decisions I make. I often think there's a huge choice I have to make here. I have to follow what God says of me uh, for me to do right here, and I spend a lot of time trying to figure out God's will. And then I realize, wait a minute, this is a choice between two good choices. I can choose either way, and given the discernment that God has given me already, I, I, I'm not going to be totally messed up if I pick one choice over the other. Not everything works like that, and I think this episode, maybe I'm wrong about that, and if that's true, okay, but I think this episode is playing into the idea that every choice, no matter how small, should be given to God, and yes, that's true, but I don't think to the extent that CJ's doing it, it should be. Does that make sense? I, I think so. But also, too, with like decisions like that, you know, if it is, like you said, two good things, I know uh, someone in my church has talked about before, I think that, you know, they pray like, Lord, if I'm not smart enough to follow what you're doing, let providence lead me. I think that's a great way to pray. If you if you can't get to the point where you're not absolutely certain, do what you know is best and leave the rest up to God mm-hmm. as long as you've done your best. Right, right. So anyway, let's continue with the episode if you wanted to. Okay. So he drops off the salad and leaves. Again, he's, you know, kind of hedging the truth a little bit. I'm not sure if he's actually, like, outright lying in this part. He might later. or maybe, Yeah, he or maybe says he's waiting for somebody. So that's that's a lie. He's yeah. not waiting for anybody. Yeah, okay. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> and he walks outside, and I guess he falls through a storm door for a cellar or something like that, which they really should mark that thing or have that door replaced. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, what is this? Is this a dream sequence? That's really dangerous, especially if, if you have older people in their retirement home there. You don't want them walking around and falling through there. <laughs> yeah, that'd be pretty dangerous. But it falls through, it's pitch dark, and he loses track of time, which sounds really scary. <laughs> that would be frightening, yeah. especially as a kid. He believes that, you know, God had the ground swallow him up, which, and God used whales. He's actually used the ground to swallow people up, you know, with Korra. <laughs> yeah, but they died, so. Yeah, he, he like I said, he comes out pretty unscathed. Yeah. And he says, I'm just like Jonah. I ran like Jonah. And assuming that this was that this was God who was using this specific instance to tell CJ you need to go, sure. I just have a problem with the premise, but it's not it's not a terrible setup if you if the spiritual uh if the spirituality is intact, the theology is intact. And it's more dramatic than him going home and then him finally confessing to his parents that he didn't go. Oh, I think that made for a lot better drama, but that's just me. Okay. Uh agree to disagree. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hey, I'm a fan of DGL. Beth Culp puts huge emphasis on tiny issues, and I'm all here for it. Yeah, but yeah anyway. that's true. So we switch back to the retirement home, and uh, Goose comes up and says, like, you know, she sounds kind of scared at first. Like, you know, there's this old badger running after, running after me. They fall teeth and tries, and she tries to bite the nurses and that kind of stuff. And she sounds like she's kind of scared, but then she kind of turns at the end, like, you know, like she's kind of liking it. She's like, oh, this is kind of fun. I got to get a pair of those. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's I kind of thought of that... Uh, I think is it preacher's kid or something where they're their time at home and uh what <laughs> jimmy is spotting, drawing like, the, the, spots. Finding the, the states on some i should know this what's his name on mr something's liver spots oh look there's florida <laughs> flashback or flash forward to when wooten has florida on his sideburns oh yeah wow <laughs> random anyway yeah gus is walking through and he's humming 
uh, Amazing Grace or singing it, I think was just in the background. Yeah, I've actually written down. They have three different songs played on the piano in the background. Oh, okay. Can you remember which all they were? No, one is Amazing Grace. I don't remember the other two. So the first one that we hear there is, I believe, Are You Watched in the Blood? The second one is Amazing Grace. And the last one at the end is Count Your Blessings. Yeah, I'm not familiar with the first two, but I, or with the first and the third, but I am with the second one. Okay. Yeah, those are, those are really great songs. So this is an example of diegetic music, which means it's music that's actually in the story because he's singing along with it. There's music that most of the soundtrack for audio drama can't be heard by the characters, but this music can be heard by the characters. Look out for diegetic music in episode six of Woodgrove, just saying. <laughs> anyway, continue. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, he goes down there and CJ's fallen asleep and he's already repented. He's prayed to God and he fell asleep down there. So I guess he's at peace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's falling asleep. I'm not sure if Jonah ever got to sleep in the whale. <laughs> Oy. Ugh, that'd be awful. Ow. You wake up and you're still inside the whale. That's terrible. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a bad day. <laughs> but yeah, he comes down there and he finds him next to the bag of beans, I guess it was. And he tells him like what happened. And CJ is, you know, like, oh yeah, like it happened like what jo- happened to Jonah. And he tells him, like, you know, his grandma Margie died in her retirement home and he has bad memories of there. Yeah. And yeah. Gus, Gus is so he, he's such a great character. He's very. He's very respectful and he's very tactful and he's very loving in how he comes across there. And he brings up, you know, like, well, you know, a lot of people, you know, here would like visitors. And then he brings up like, well, I would like, I, I would, I'd be hurt or something like that if you didn't come and visit me. And then we find out Gus is retiring. He's not going to be sailing anymore. And he had this build up, you know, him staying for a long time. So is there something in this team that you said that you thought he lied about? No, I said he lied earlier with the Bible story that he he um he made up the facts about oh. where the captain was. That was okay. The, that was the story. Okay, okay. I thought it was something about that happened to him. Okay. No, not necessarily. Right. But, but here, now that you bring it up, I I really hate to keep harping on this episode. I it rubbed me the wrong way. The fact that CJ brought up his fear. Finally, we know what it is, and Gus just blows over it and is like. Well, you know that the people here need need people to like need visitors. Instead of saying, "Oh, CJ, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I remember when this happened. That's totally, totally understandable." But you see, this fear is something you I think you should work through with time. Now, if you're not ready yet, that's okay. He doesn't say that. He's just like, "Nope, go visit." Which I don't know. I don't know if I like that. Well, it's not that blunt. Like I said, I think he comes off pretty tactful. Like he probably should have given some more condolences, maybe. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think his way of like trying to convince him to do the right thing i guess makes it like more a personal level like hey i'm gonna be here i would like you to still visit me here yeah and that makes it a little bit easier for him to to go through with that i will i will also say um from a from a writer standpoint it is it is somewhat of a, a deus ex machina a sort of um god coming into the picture and changing things and miraculously and miraculously changing the story it feels a little bit like that to say oh, it's the right thing just because God says to do it in a story. I, I get that's the way it sometimes works in real life, and you may not see the results of, of that in this life. But in a good story, in a good audio drama, you'll demonstrate to the audience there is a reward for following God's plan, even if it's not something that you can see, even if it's like um, Gilead is a good example at, in the, the episodes with Mr. Key in season eight with, with Timmy and or Tim. And even when Tim thinks that all is lost, God still had a plan. I, I love those episodes because they're really it, it delves into the minutia of what is God's plan how does how will God's plan actually play out? But in this in this episode, I 
the only indication I get that it's a good thing that CJ should serve at the retirement home is a couple examples about why it's generally good to serve at retirement homes and no response to CJ's own objections to doing it. So, see, needless to say, I'm not I'm not convinced, but I'm willing to understand accept, okay, in real life, CJ made the right call if God was telling him to do it. That's that's the right thing to do. I just don't think it made for a a compelling story. Yeah, I mean the reward itself is finally finally doing what God told him to do. It may not be as apparent like some, something really big. I mean, I think, you know, I mean, it's, I know, it's kind of a, if you squint your eyes and look at it, <laughs> or however that quote goes, um, yeah. but like him be able to see Gus a lot more, rather than just waiting for him to come on a ship, he's, he's going to get to see Gus a lot more now, and it's in a place that he was once afraid of, and now it's going to be an easier thing for him to come visit him in this kind of place before. Again, it's not a major, major reward, but it one there's a reward for doing the right thing, doing what God tells you, and there's a little extra benefit. Like, hey, this friend of mine, I don't see that often. I'm going to get to see him all the time now. That That is true. That that does make sense. Although, I could think of a couple counter-arguments to that, but that's that's okay. I see where you're coming from. So, for me, um, I would, I guess the final final thing I would say on this is that it is it is a drama. It is fiction, and it's not actually God who's saying this. It's, what's his name? Uh, Andy... Andy Robertson? Amy Robertson. Oh, Amy Robertson. Okay. It is Amy Robertson who's who's saying this. So, like as far as that goes, I would I would say maybe you as the writer for God in this story should have told CJ something else. But in as much as CJ followed what the writer told him to do, he did it. So, yeah, that's all, that's all I can say. Well, I, I think it I think it ends better like with like more like a funny note yes. or like her note than the last one. You come back up there and, you know, CJ uh joins in and then uh goose i, I don't know uh, does goose have mrs nesbitt's teeth or does she find some dentures from someone else and she's chasing after her i mean it's it's funny like she's like the, the tables are kind of turned but the lady sounds like she's not actually like afraid of her they're just having fun <laughs> yeah, and then a, like stacy said like don't even ask that's a humorous trope of where you have one character chasing after another character through a hallway and like you see them run by and then a couple seconds later they run by the opposite or the other character is chasing the other one <laughs> it's funny Bob and weave, Bob and weave. <laughs> Except she has the teeth now. Yeah, she's on, she's on the offensive now. <laughs> but all right, so it comes to the song, which Woo. sounds like you have some good things to say about it. So yes. why don't you go first? Well, I I think the song was probably the best part of the episode for me. I love sea shanties, and um, this wasn't exactly a sea shanty. The the voices weren't exactly the same. The orchestration was big and strong behind it. But it sounded like the um, sailing, sailing over the bounding main. It sa- sounded like a similar either. I think it had the same meter and a similar rhythm to that. And I like I like those kinds of songs. I think that all of the voices, everyone who was singing the song did a really good job, especially when you got the two parts at the end of it. That was really fun because I could hear the melody, but I could also hear the harmony underneath. There was a joke. And the after the first third of the song about the high seas, ah! no, not that sea. That was great because like that was a sea that he actually sang right there. Um, and you know I I have good things to say about the song. It wasn't a ballad, and I appreciated that. It was more about Jonah, um, than it was about CJ falling down a cellar. So yeah, I'm a I'm a fan. Yeah, I I don't think I got that joke with the high seas that much when I was a kid. But I do now. <laughs> um, I figure I figured you'd probably like that. And there's actually a second one too. Did you catch that? Another joke for music. 
music aficionados. Maybe I didn't. What's the second one? So uh, after one of the verses, I think, or the chorus, someone says uh, to the first mate, first like first mate, you're winning on the bridge, and he says I I or something like that, and then he sings a bridge, an actual bridge in the song. <laughs> I completely missed that. That's really funny. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a fun song. I, I don't know. I think like the the where they're all talking over each other like in the storm or whatever. I found that a little bit cheesy, but I think it still works. I don't think it's overly so, and it's a catchy song. I like those kind of inside jokes in there, and like the harmonies are really great. So yeah, th- this it it is a good song. Yeah, I wish we had a full episode of CGA at Sea with uh with uh Gus and actually like seeing all this stuff happen. I think that would have been a really exciting episode. Uh, mm. Oh, wait. Probably would be happy to know there will be at least two episodes in the future that take place almost all at sea or a good portion at sea. Oh, okay. I'll look forward to that. And Gus will be involved in one of those. Nice. Okay, okay. Let's go then. But yeah, this episode I I mean it's not my favorite. I think again the Bible story part, I don't think it's 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 kind of the I guess like the driving force in it about halfway through it's not a major part of the story. I think again there are so so much better Bible stories coming up and the and the way they present them. I don't I'm not saying Jonah isn't a good Bible story. I just the presentation is better. I don't think we'll get any more Bible stories this season, but the next one I think that we'll hear in season 2, I believe is going to blow your mind. <laughs> okay, well if you think so. Yeah, this episode it's again it's not that's not my favorite. I think it's probably better than some of the early episodes that we reviewed. Again, you brought up some things about that I didn't think about that much. I don't think I may agree with all of them, but I I do see there are some a few flaws here and there. Yeah, I I think this is this is probably my least my second least favorite episode of the series. I don't think it holds a candle to Grace to Hugh, um, standing standing alone. Um, Honey Buzz Principle. Those are my favorite episodes of the series, and especially going back to the beginning with the the first couple episodes, like first one and then the second, uh, the second two after that. I I thought that the the themes and the morals and the way they were presented were very very well done in the beginning, and now that we're getting into different writers and different different themes here, now that Phil Lawler is doing script supervision, and he wasn't doing script supervision at the beginning, right? No, I don't think he did script supervising for episodes until like episode nine or ten, I think something like that. Okay, well. I I think instead of just saying, ah, I don't like the paws and tails that are going on right now, I think I, I, I want to remain objective and point out exactly what my problems are with each episode and actually say, this was good, this wasn't so good, and that's something you've helped me do in previous episodes, Austin. So hopefully I have been objective uh, throughout this review. And if I haven't, uh, and you're listening out there, let me know. Come yell at me, please. So I'm looking at the list of episodes that come up next. The next two episodes uh, are kind of like some of the past episodes i'm not saying good or bad either way i don't want to have you have a too many expectations or, or low expectations for the next two but after i think the next two i think the rest the rest of the season is gonna be a lot better i think there's some really great episodes including in within the next four episodes is that really good mystery i hinted about in the past oh. i'm excited to talk about and see see how you uh break down that mystery and see if you think it works well or not okay okay well it's been a, again it's been a while since i've done a mystery so i'll have to see if i can figure it out for myself is it one that i can solve myself mm. i think so it's <gasps> a better it's a better mystery than it's a better mystery than the ones we've had like with a closer a look closer look it's definitely better than that well closer look i instantly solved <laughs> yeah and it's better than it's better than the early jones and parker episodes okay, is too. it better than writer's Ruse? so it's closer to like the lost riddle or big trouble under the big top well, Big Trouble in the Big Tub, I think you can solve on your own. I don't think you can solve the Lost Riddle on your own. So I'm wondering if, like, by the second commercial break in this mystery that you're talking about, 
I wonder if I can solve it by that point. If I can, please let me know because I want to try. <laughs> okay. Well, we have a lot to look forward to, but I just want to say thank you, Michael, for joining me on this review again. It's been so much fun, as always, to record with you. Oh, thank you so much for having me back. I, I'm Again, I'm so sorry. I don't like being negative, but I want to be able to speak to the audience and to speak to people who are hearing this episode and say, hey, um, maybe this isn't how theology exactly is, or maybe this could be represented differently. And I don't want to be too negative on the series. I have been loving this series as we've been going forward, so... Thank you, Austin, for introducing me to this, and thanks for continuing to have me back. This is a lot of fun. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Bye!